So let's read another number from the Catechism here. Number 27, 13. Contemplative prayer is the simplest expression of the mystery of prayer. It is a gift, a grace. It can be accepted only in humility and poverty. Contemplative prayer is a covenant relationship established by God within our hearts. Contemplative prayer is a communion in which the Holy Trinity conforms man, the image of God, to his likeness. So let's unpack that for a minute. It says it's the contemplative prayer is the simplest expression of the mystery of prayer. Simplest insofar as it's pure in that it's God and us communicating very directly heart to heart. Heart to heart. Without having to think a lot. Without having to yeah, use the reason or yeah. And as I said earlier, sometimes just a simple gaze. Sometimes you don't even need words. But just the knowledge of God's loving presence and being aware of his gaze, of his presence, and his love, and how much he treasures you is enough to just hold you there. To just hold you there. So that is a gift, for sure, a grace. So yeah, we got to ask for it. Lord, teach me how to pray. Show me, Lord. Show me how I can be more contemplative. I remember we've been saying that being a contemplative is a passive kind of thing. It happens to you. Whereas meditation, vocal prayers, more something you do. But contemplative prayer is something that happens to us. We dispose ourselves so that it can happen. But it's something that God ultimately does in us and with us and through us. As it goes on to say here, it can only be accepted in humility and poverty. So again, it's not a matter of our deserving it or earning it or being worthy of it. So all of that just goes away. Not that it doesn't try to creep in there, you know, but like we know it's, it's not about me. This is not about whether or not I deserve this for any reason whatsoever. It's, it's, my, I'm getting in touch with my own neediness. I'm getting in touch with my poverty, which is not a bad thing to be poor in spirit, not, not like material poverty here, but we're talking about spiritual poverty. When Jesus kicks off his most famous sermon on the mount with the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's one of the only Beatitudes that has a present promise, if you notice that. If you look at the Beatitudes, most of the other Beatitudes have a future promise. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. But for those who are poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is theirs now. So to be in touch with our own poverty without being ashamed of it, that's the, that's the inner struggle, if you will, I think, that we all experience. Because on some level, we don't like to feel needy. We don't like to be dependent. That is not exalted in our society, is it? <laughs> Quite the contrary. But as we grow in trust and confidence with God, we believe, we trust, we know that he is in no way, shape, or form turned off by my neediness. He's not afraid of it. He's not turned off by it. And that was the genius of the little flower. <coughs> there she is, back there. Doctor of the church with no theology degree. Woohoo! Yay! Because I, I didn't get one either, technically, I found out. <laughs> when, I, when I went back to Rome to study for masters, they told me, well, you never really got a bachelor's. I was like, oh, that's news to me. Because I did all my theology on the road, as we used to say. So I think I mentioned it. I, I didn't even take a, a single theology class, technically, before I was ordained a priest. When I tell other priests that, especially the Asso priests, are like, huh? Say that again? How'd that work? So I took a bunch of theology exams. I was homeschooled. Yay, for homeschoolers. I was homeschooled by myself. But I got through it in two years. That was the bonus. I just went, shoo. But anyway, when I was in Rome, studying for a quasi-master's in spiritual theology, I had a class with a Carmelite priest who was in charge of Therese's cause to be named Doctor of the Church. So that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. So we, we, we studied line by line her autobiography, which was really... And so I wrote a paper, I think it was called... Uh, oh, what was it called? Something like the... The Power of Poor Little Souls, or something like that, I don't know. But anyway, so one of her geniuses was this little way, and, and coming to grips with her own littleness, and realizing that that was not, as I just said, in any way, shape, or form, disgusting to God. Nor was it an obstacle to her growth and holiness. In fact, when she put herself into the arms of Jesus, which was the elevator she discovered, you know, that was a new invention at her, in her day, the elevator. So she's like, oh, the elevator to heaven. It's the arms of Jesus. But to get into his arms, to get into his hands, I got to stay small. So the smaller, the better. So it's so counterintuitive so counterintuitive to the ways of the world. But that's, that's the gospel. So much of the gospel is, is paradoxical. 
It's another way of saying counterintuitive, right? So much of the gospel is paradoxical. You've got to die in order to have life. You've got to lose your life in order to find it. In order to bear fruit, you've got to fall to the ground and die. Right? So all these paradoxes. You've got to be poor in spirit in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be great, you got to be a servant of all. So Jesus just takes all of this, all of these worldly criteria and just turns them upside down. Just like this. Just like this. This is paradoxical. So, what else does it say here? Contemplative prayer is a communion in which the Holy Trinity conforms man, the image of God, who was made in the image of God, to his likeness. Yeah. I love this, this image of being cradled in the arms of God, being cradled by the Trinity. As John Paul said, the, the, the Trinity is this communion of love, this eternal exchange of love. And as we discovered, I think it was yesterday, right? The, the Father and the Son delighting in each other back and forth, back and forth. They're just growing in that delight more and more. You delighted me. <laughs> I delighted you. <laughs> Just more and more, you know. It just keeps growing and getting better. And they want us to share in that. They want us to share in that. To be in communion with them. And again, as, as we experience that, as we experience that kind of communion, as we experience being cradled like that by this tender, compassionate love, oh, we're healed. That's what heals. That's what heals. And then they speak all kinds of life into us and truth and goodness and beauty. And then we, we grow. We mature. We blossom. We blossom. Amen? Are we really on chapter 6? Is that right? Wow. It's a lot. You know, a, a, word, a word on residual graces, it's a term I came up with. But I feel like whenever you make a retreat like this, there's so much. Right? You can't possibly digest all of the song songs in just a couple days. So you're getting introduced to it. And what, I, what I'm absolutely convinced of is that there are residual graces for you after this weekend. So they will follow you. <laughs> and at some opportune time, these graces will be released, so to speak, and you'll You'll have new lights, new inspirations, new understanding, 
new wisdom, new breakthrough. And you'll be like, oh, I think we talked about that on the retreat. You know, I remember God said this or did this. Or... So don't, don't worry about not being able to digest all of this. I call it spiritual indigestion. You know, you can only take so much. But the we're doing it because I do want to expose you to this this beauty. Because so many people haven't prayed with this before, and I think it is inspiring. I, I want it to be inspiring, so that you're encouraged and motivated. To, to really allow Jesus to, to love you in this way and to, to chase after him with this kind of determination and passion. So we start off chapter six with the brides to be. O rarest of beauty, where then has your lover gone? We long to see him too. Where may we find him? We will follow you as you seek after him. My lover has gone down into his garden of delight to the flower beds of spices to feast with those pure in heart. I'm fully devoted to my beloved and my beloved is fully devoted to me. So there's more of a, of a union here. We're starting to move slowly from this illuminative stage to the unitive stage. And when it talks about being pure in heart, you know, in the Beatitudes that comes out too, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. It's not so much a sexual purity as we typically think about it but it's really more of a single-mindedness. Think of it that way. And of course, to be pure in every way, right? There has to be a certain single-mindedness to you. Like, I'm going after Jesus, and I don't care what anybody else thinks. So a, a single-mindedness. Therese was all about that. It, it, it speaks to a certain simplicity as well. Not being simple-minded, but being simple and single-minded. There's something there with the, the Latin, I think, that when it comes to being simple, that it's just one fold. I might be wrong, but I think if I remember that right, so there's just one fold to it. It's not double-sided. There's no duplicity. There's no duplicity, which speaks to two folds, two sides. Right? But there's a simplicity, which is, I think, one fold, one focus, single-minded, pure, pure. Oh, my beloved, you are lovely. When I see you in your beauty, I see a radiant city where we will dwell as one. 
unity, more pleasing than any pleasure, more delightful than any delight. You have ravished my heart, stealing away my strength to resist you. Even hosts of angels stand in awe of you. Turn your eyes from me. I can't take it anymore. So he's really trying to pour on the sauce here, right? (laughs) Like, really, Jesus? Come on. That's enough, you know. I can't resist the passion of these eyes that I adore. Overpowered by a glance, my ravished heart, undone, held, held captive by your love, I'm truly overcome. For your undying devotion to me is the most yielded sacrifice. Undying devotion, single-mindedness, purity, simplicity, that is the most yielded sacrifice. Or the kind of fast that God desires. At the beginning of Lent, we hear from these different prophets the kind of fast that God really wants. This undying devotion, this poverty of spirit, the most yielded sacrifice. And you know what sacrifice means literally? Sacrum facere in Latin. Sacrum facere, to make holy. To make holy. So when we offer a sacrifice, it's so that it and we who are offering the sacrifice can be made holy. That's the literal meaning of sacrifice. Sacrum facere, to make holy. The shining of your spirit shows how you have taken my truth to become balanced and complete, whole, complete, whole, integrated, transformed, transfigured. Your beautiful blushing cheeks reveal how real your passion is for me even hidden behind your veil of humility. I could have chosen any from among the vast multitude of royal ones who follow me, but unique is my beloved dove, unrivaled in beauty, without equal, beyond compare, the perfect one, the favorite one. Others see your beauty and sing of your joy. Brides and queens chant your praise. How blessed is she. Look at you now. Arising as the day spring of the dawn, fair as the shining moon, bright and brilliant as the sun in all its strength, astonishing to behold as a majestic army waving banners of victory. So he's trying to motivate you, encourage you. Shumalite bride responds, I decided, again, decided, I decided to go down to the valley streams where the orchards of the king grow and mature. I longed to know if hearts were opening. Are the budding vines blooming with new growth? Has their springtime of passionate love arrived? Then suddenly my longings transported me. 
My divine desire brought me next to my beloved prince, sitting with him in his royal chariot. We were lifted up together. So, again, a reference to desire, a longing. I longed to know if hearts were opening. Are the budding vines blooming with new growth? Has their springtime of passionate love arrived? Then suddenly my longings transported me. So, again, it's hard, but to be in touch with our desires when we go to pray. There's a good book, uh, Seven Desires of the Heart, written by a Christian couple. Their name escapes me right now. And, of course, there's more than seven desires, but if you've never prayed much with desires... What are some of them? Let me see if I can remember all seven. Uh, well, these are, it'll be some of mine and some of theirs probably. But to be known, we all have a desire to be known and to be known intimately, to be seen, to be seen, right? I mean, just look at little kids. Look at me, look at me. Mom, mom, look at me, watch this. You know? We all desire to be seen. To be affirmed for who we are. To be affirmed for who we are. I think they would say blessed, but. And then to be acknowledged for the good things that we do. They would say say affirmed for what we do, but I really prefer to keep a firm an affirmation for just being but to be rewarded and acknowledged for the good things that we do to feel safe to feel safe to be provided for to be touched in a healthy non-sexual way healthy touch to belong to something greater than yourself to be a part of a family, a team, a community that has a purpose that's greater than yourself So these are, are some desires, and there's, there's many more. We all have a desire to be saved, <laughs> to be healthy and healed and whole, I would say. A desire for intimacy, period. Just a desire for intimacy. Because that's really what we were made for. We were made for communion. We were made for communion intimacy with God and with one another. So a desire for healthy intimacy. 
The name is Conrad Bars, B-A-A-R-S, Conrad Bars. Anybody read Conrad Bars? Yeah, I think he, he comes out in the Encounter Notes, I think. I don't know. Maybe not. But you've read Conrad Bars? Or, yeah. So he's the one who wrote Born Only Once. And he had a... So he passed on. His daughter is Suzanne Bars. She's still practicing today in the Dallas area in psychology therapy. But then Conrad had a, a female counterpart uh, companion in, in ministry, in, in practice. And after a while, they specialized on seeing priests and religious. And Pope Paul VI even gave their work an endorsement. Yeah. And so they did a lot, a lot on, on healing the emotions and, and understanding affirmation and understanding too repression repression and, and I think it happens in a lot of devout Catholic families, especially around the area of sexuality, so much can be repressed. So much good healthy sexuality can be repressed. And thankfully with theology of the body, John Paul II, and now so many laymen and women unpacking theology of the body, I think it's easier at some level, maybe, <laughs> to talk about some of these things with young people. Uh, we have a lot more language, a lot more understanding, so that it can be presented as something very beautiful uh, and, and nothing to be afraid of, nothing you know, to shame, but to be respected, obviously. But that kind of repression can affect our prayer life. And you may have even noticed it as you've prayed with the Song of Songs. Especially if, you're, if you look at your own translation compared to this one, your translation is probably more erotic than this one. Even though this is the Passion Translation, I, found it, I find it less quote-unquote erotic in its language than your typical translation. But anyway, you could find yourself feeling uncomfortable about some of these expressions and some of this language. So sometimes there's a repression. So there's a distinction between suppression and repression. So we all have to suppress our emotions sometimes. If I'm getting really angry in a social setting or really anxious, I may just have to take a deep breath and, okay, I'm going to suppress that for a while, you know? I'm not going to blow up and throw my drink in my husband's face right now, you know? Or my girlfriend's face. I want to, <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. I will suppress that anger for now. And when I get home, I'll let him have it, you know, or whatever. <laughs> but if we never express the emotion and we keep suppressing it, well, then that winds up being repressed. Repressed. Buried. Buried. However, what we now know is that a buried emotion never dies. You can write that and underline it. 
A buried emotion never dies. You can underline never like three or four times. A buried emotion never dies. It's got to come out somehow. And unless we, you know, face it with Jesus in a loving way, in a compassionate way, it'll probably come out sideways somehow, <laughs> sometime, somewhere, right? So that's the proverbial trigger. That's the proverbial trigger. And I know many of you did sacred story. Raise your hand if you did. Yeah, many of you did sacred story. So <laughs> if you haven't, you can ask about that <laughs> tomorrow. But there's a, a book that was uh, written recently about the examined prayer, the Ignatian, St. Ignatius's examined prayer by a, a living Jesuit priest who puts a lot of modern spin on it in a, in a good way with new language and new understanding that we have of psychology and theology and healing, etc. So desires, feelings, emotions, these are all good things to, to pray about, to pray with. And sometimes, again, it doesn't hurt to literally write it out. In the name of Jesus, I give myself permission to express my desires. Because as my dad used to say, I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> so what does that mean? It means that, let's say I have a desire to be seen. Hey, dad, dad, check this out. Come here, I want to show you something. Ah, son, I'm sorry. I don't have time. Oh, okay. Okay. Next day, I go back. Dad, Dad, hey, can I show you something? Oh, son, I, I'd love to, but I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm too busy. Oh, okay. Well, it's not going to take long for me to say, forget it, right? Because as I go and express the desire and get met with rejection, that hurts. And so I may do it two or three times, but after that, I'll be like, you know what? Forget it. I'm good. I don't care. That's what we tell ourselves, right? Ah, who cares? Who cares? No big deal. No big deal. Right? We tell ourselves, we start to lie to ourselves. Because we really desired to be seen. But it's more painful to be met with rejection, so we think, than to simply forget about it, to repress it. So sometimes those desires have been buried. Not just the emotion, not just the painful emotion, but the corresponding healthy desire has been buried with the painful emotion. The healthy God-given desire 
has been buried with the painful emotion. So there needs to be a resurrection. Lazarus, come out! It's a great meditation. If you feel like you've got some buried emotions, buried desires, ask God. And, I, and that might even be the gospel. No, oh, no, it's not this Sunday. I think we have a similar to one this Sunday, but coming up is always Lazarus, right? Maybe it's the last Sunday of Lent. But come out of that grave. And whatever the desire might be, name it though. What is the desire? That's something you could pray. Holy Spirit, what are my, what are my buried desires? It could even be like a back doorway of approaching some of those wounded parts. <laughs> it's a more positive way of approaching it. Holy Spirit, what are my buried desires? Lord, what buried desires do you want to resurrect during this Lent in Easter season? What a great prayer to pray during this holy time, you know, to the Easter. What buried parts of me do you want to bring back to life? What buried parts of me do you want to resurrect? Beautiful. Notice here, after all of this, let's go back to the text, and then we'll wrap up. Look at um, verse 13, the second part there, the Shulamite bride. So after all of that schmoozing, <laughs> she still doubts. Why would you seek a mere Shulamite like me? Why would you want to see my dance of love? Hmm. So we're not quite there yet. Still some doubt. And that's normal. Does the bridegroom king respond by saying, oh, really? After all I've said and done for you, you still doubt? Shame on you. He doesn't say that. <laughs> He just affirms her again. Because you dance so gracefully, as though you danced with angels. So we always need to be affirmed. We always need to be affirmed. We're always going to be in touch with our poverty, the side of heaven. But that awareness of our littleness can then be coupled with, literally coupled with confidence, confidence in the Lord and his love and mercy, his kindness and goodness, because he's not letting go. 
is not letting go. Amen.